1: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit Cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The U.S. Army bans all use of DJI commercial off-the-shelf drones, We discuss two known unknowns and offer some background on defense acquisition practices. Amazon will begin scanning AWS customers' buckets for publicly accessible data. White Hat hackers offer recommendations for election security. And Marcus Hutchins, a.k.a. Malware Tech, pleads not guilty to Kronos-related charges and makes bail. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire Summary for Monday, August 7, 2017. The U.S. Army last Wednesday ordered all units to immediately stop using DJI drones. The order, which came to public attention over the weekend, derives from unspecified concerns over cybersecurity, with the directive citing, but not quoting, two classified studies of drone vulnerabilities. DJI, a Chinese firm, had been criticized in the past by consumers for collecting too much about users, including geolocation data. In particular, it required users to report certain information said to be necessary for safer drone flights and better compliance with geofencing. Users who elected not to provide the information would find that their drones would be either severely limited in range and endurance or disabled entirely. Exactly what worries the U.S. Army is unspecified but speculation centers on two possibilities. Either the risk of collection against army operations by a Chinese company that could presumably share the information gathered with its government, or the possibility of drones being disabled remotely by either the vendor or hackers. Such concerns are, of course, not mutually exclusive. The order to take the drones out of service came last week from the G357, the deputy chief of staff, operations, plans, and training. It was explicit and peremptory. All DJI products are to be taken out of service from drones to software to controllers and down to the batteries that power them all. So what, you might ask, is the U.S. Army doing buying drones from a Chinese manufacturer? This is perhaps worth a quick explanation in terms of the U.S. government's acquisition system. It's been pointed out in coverage of the incidents that these are COTS purchases. They're purchases of commercial off-the-shelf systems. There is no program of record buying commercial drones from China or elsewhere. That is, there is no acquisition program that appears in the future year's defense plan, the so-called FIDIP, through a Program Objective Memorandum, POM, that makes the program a line-item record in the defense budget. Programs of record are the sorts of acquisition programs through which tanks, attack helicopters, and the like are acquired. It's been recognized for some time that the defense acquisition process, while admirably suited to buying big, long lead-time items surrounded by plenty of watchdogs and litigation, think shipbuilding, for example, is less suitable for buying things whose technology evolves rapidly, are relatively inexpensive, and probably don't require extensive militarization. So, notoriously, IT purchases have tended to be encumbered rather than facilitated by the acquisition system. In areas where civilian technological development outpaces military development, it makes sense to authorize quick purchases of relatively low-cost items. Drones are a good example, and DJI drones, also called quadcopters, they carry cameras mostly for photographers and hobbyists. They can be bought online for between $500 and $3,000. DJI drones were COTS purchases. Two interesting questions remain open. First, what vulnerabilities is the U.S. Army worried about? And second, why does the ban cover just DJI? Why would their products be particularly objectionable? There are lots of other photo drones out there of comparable performance and price, and many of those are made in China too. But the G3 singled out DJI for mention in dispatches. The story is developing. Turning to data breaches, it's been noted that many of this year's high-profile incidents have so far been cases of inadvertent exposure of databases stored in clouds. In particular, customer misconfigurations of Amazon Web Services S3 buckets have embarrassed users across several sectors, political consulting, journalism, government contracting, and so on. While properly configuring your data buckets is the data owner's responsibility and not the cloud provider's, Amazon is working to lend a helping hand by scanning for publicly available S3 buckets and asking the bucket's owners if they really do want their data to be generally available. White Hats, who looked at voting machine vulnerabilities for the recent conferences in Las Vegas, have recommended ways of making elections more secure. Wired distilled their suggestions into a five-step path to more secure elections. First, retire old, outdated, and vulnerable machines. Second, secure registration systems and voter databases. Third, require security audits of any polling system that uses electronic voting machines. Fourth, make patching machines easier. Loosen up procurement rules and practices if that's necessary to getting upgrades done. And fifth, improve poll workers' training to make them more alert for election hacking. Marcus Hutchins, a.k.a. MalwareTech, the researcher credited with inadvertently flipping WannaCry's kill switch, is out on bail after pleading not guilty in a U.S. court. He was arrested by the FBI in Nevada last week after attending DEFCON and Black Hat. He's facing charges related to creation and distribution of the Kronos banking trojan. Prosecutors say that Hutchins admitted developing Kronos, but that was before he lawyered up and pled not guilty. They also allege that he was involved in offering Kronos for sale in various dark web markets. The case is likely to set important precedents for vulnerability research. Lawyers who've written about the case comment that the prosecution has what they characterize as an aggressive theory of the crime. Security researchers think that theory sufficiently aggressive to chill legitimate vulnerability research including developing proof-of-concept exploits, writing innocent code that criminals could obtain and repurpose, engaging with black and grey hats in various online venues, and so on. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dale Drew. He's the Chief Security Officer at Level Three Communications. Uh, Dale, great to have you back. Um, you know, we see from time to time people have this notion that organizations should be allowed to hack back when someone comes at them. They should be able to uh, not only to defend but to strike back. What's your take on this?
0: I, you know, I think I think hacking. I think the idea of hack back is a signal of the frustration that we cannot solve this bad guy problem as quickly as, as uh, we need to. And so you know, it's, it's intended to put the tools in the hands of the victim uh, so that they can go back to the, uh, the system that is breaking into them, get access to that system, remove the application that's attacking them, and potentially either delete or recover data that's been stolen from them. You know, so for example, there's uh, there's uh, Tom Graves who was uh, uh, a Republican out of uh, Georgia has introduced a bill in Congress called uh, the Act of Cyber Defense Certainty. And this this isn't the first hackback legislation that's been proposed, but mm-hmm. it was one that was sort of uh, released as the result of the impact of WannaCry. It, my my biggest concern about things like you know hackback uh, legislation is just the law of, of unintended consequences. Right. You know, as an example. When you're getting attacked by a system and you now have the cover, the legal cover, to be able to break into that system the same way the bad guy did and be able to stop the attack, you don't know the system you're breaking into. You don't know the purpose that this system is is doing. Uh, So you don't know if it's a medical device. You don't know if it's a mission-critical system. And then you're relying on the forensic capability of the victim to be able to figure out which application and which user is causing the damage and you're giving them the authority to alter that system you're giving them the authority to to kill the application or delete the user or alter the system state so no one else can break in as well as deleting data that you believe might might be your data but who knows what you're actually potentially deleting on the system and so one is you know what happens when you put that sort of power and authority into someone else's uh, hands and they cause unintended consequences Because the bad guy is breaking into somebody else's computer to break into yours And so you're going to break into that other company's computer to to try to stop it But you could be causing damage The other one is while that might be eventually illegal in the u.s. you, You might be accessing systems outside the u.s And so you don't know where your legal authority begins and ends because the internet is a global apparatus It's not a u.s. based apparatus You might be legal in the u.s. But breaking the law internationally And if you cause damage on that computer uh, internationally, you're liable for it. Where the bad guy is liable for it only if they can get caught, you're liable for it because you're doing it under the color of law, apparently the color of law. Uh, And then the last one that I'm worried about is just this sort of uh, ambiguous definition of an attack. How do you distinguish the notion of you defending your infrastructure from being attacked by doing a a, a hackback? versus a cyber attack against your competitors claiming that they attempted to break into you. So this this could give people a license to be able to justify breaking into other other people's computer systems uh, and claiming that, uh, you know, I got port scanned by somebody or somebody went to my web page and it was really suspicious. And so I'm hacking back and it turns out that it was a competitor. So I think this really opens the door to a significant amount of unintended consequences that will not really move us forward in evolving our security capability of stopping the bad guys.
1: Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network.